Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. Yes, I am your host, Rob Watson, and yes, we have another great show lined up for you. Um, last week we did kind of a highlighted a very fun project um, of Barbie Boys, um, a great music video and song um, that is, is now out. Um, this week we go a little more intimate um, and a little more um, low-key but really poignant, um, and we are going to talk about a brand-new film, called August at 22. Uh, If you follow me on the Los Angeles Blade and the articles I put out um, there, uh, and there's a new one today um, on uh, a past show that we've done, but a few weeks ago I wrote an article about this film, August at 22. Uh, It is when this film was launching and also that other film, let's see, what was it called? Oh, yeah, Barbie. Um, the the big pink, pink wonder that had had hit the uh, cineplexes. Um, and I called this, about my article about this film, August of 22, the film for young women who gave up their Barbies. So even though uh, both films really speak to um, – women and and women's psyches um where barbie is kind of big picture and women in society and patriarchy um august of 22 goes down to a much more intimate level um it is really a wonderful film and to quote the main character in the film who says this numerous times throughout the film the film is amazing so, um, and it's amazing in its poignancy, its intimacy, and just, you know, just really the pure acting ability of um, all the characters. They're, they're all very authentic, and, um, you know, it is, it is like you're literally sitting in their lives and, and being part of it. But um, it explores through the, the young woman protagonist in it, um, what it's like to be in a sea of relationships, their complexities, and um, how someone discovers their own identity as it is molded by their desires, their priorities, their expectations, everything that's going on around them. Uh, the protagonist in the film is named Cal. Uh, she's a floundering actress who has to deal with the fact that her childhood soulmate, Jacob, now is in, has a serious girlfriend. Um, Cal accepts that new relationship, um, but finds that uh, she she actually more than accepts it. She falls into it um, because she's finding deep feelings for the new girlfriend herself, um, and it explores those relationships, how that plays out. Um, the film was written and acted in by Ali Edwards, who does an incredible acting job and um, has really this wonderful soft charisma throughout the film. And uh, uh, she 
also wrote the script. So it, it is, we're going to dig into that nuance. But it was directed by uh, Sofia Castuela uh, and Sofia has directed films before, but this is her first feature film. Um, so we're talking to both of them today and very excited to dig in deep on that. Um, but first, I want to go to Brody Levesque. Brody is, besides being the co-host of the show and the producer, he is the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, which is your news magazine that you should check out every single day if you want to find out the unique and poignant stories that are affecting the LGBTQ world. Um, you can find that at LosAngelesBlade.com. And with that, uh, welcome to the show, Brody. Hi, Rob, and greetings to all of our listeners. We so appreciate every one of you, and thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Um, today has been a, a day of, you know, kind of putting things together. Uh, obviously, we're still seeing a lot of fallout from uh, the indictment uh, of President Trump and 17 of his associates uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office and a grand jury down there. That's still pretty much a developing story. Uh, and we're still waiting to see what the fallout is going to be on that, uh, despite the fact that the former president is now facing four separate trials with a plethora of criminal indictments and actions. His popularity and polling is still making him the Republican frontrunner in next year's race for nomination as the party's uh, select person to be the president of the United States. So we're still competing and combating and doing all that with Trump. A couple of other things of note. The Los Angeles Blade has been watching some disturbing stories, and and I'm going to illustrate a couple of them. Uh, About a week ago, the Arkansas Department of Education informed all of the state school districts, faculty and staff, that the new College Board AP advanced class, which was focused on African-American history and culture, had been dropped. That action took place just two days before the first classes of the 23-24 school year uh, was set to begin in Arkansas schools. Now, this, into, uh, th- this particular course reaches into a variety of fields covering literature, arts, humanities, political science, geography, uh, which all contribute to the um, understanding and the experiences of black Americans. Um, they dropped it, and they haven't really given a good reason for it. Mind you, in the state of Arkansas, demographically, 63% of these student bodies are black. So it's like in the urban areas mainly. So by taking and removing their history is just kind of an onerous thing to do. And conversely, we had another incident that I'm reporting on actually today in, in Florida, at the uh, Tallahassee Community College. There's a group there that is being forced to change its name or face a loss of state and federal funding. Um, Last spring, DeSantis signed a bill, 266, into law. And basically what the bill did was it specifically targeted what the governor refers to as woke diversity, inclusion, and exclusion. And 
he's been targeting that as part of his anti-woke act thing. But the problem is the way the law is worded, okay, it prohibits any student-led organizations that advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and other social and political causes from receiving state or federal funding. These organizations aren't banned outright. However, they may only receive funding from student activity fees under the new law. Now, that's problematic, especially when you start talking community college level. Even at a university level, it's still problematic. Student fees will only go so far. This particular group is known as the Black Male Achievers. This particular group was set up with the aim of empowering and educating minority men. Okay, It provides mentoring, academic advising, academic and professional skill developments. It does it through workshop events, guest speakers. And guest speakers is important to note here because student fees, trust me, don't cover, you know, honorariums for guest speakers. And the goal, of course, is to help black students graduate and enter the workforce, okay? It also makes it where any member of the group are eligible to apply for a plethora of scholarships, okay? Talking with NPR Radio, WSF Public Radio in Florida, a member of the group said, and I'm reading this directly, we're going to have to change the name of our organization or they're going to defund it because it has the word black in front of it. So you've got two scenarios here again. One, dropping an AP advanced course for college credit in Arkansas, okay, for black students on black history. And now in Florida, you've got a law that's enacted that black student groups that are there to help black students aren't allowed to call themselves black. So those are two stories that the Los Angeles plate is paying attention to in that regards. Uh, in addition to um, a couple of other things, I'll let Rob jump in for a second because I'm sure you got questions. <laughs> no, I'm, I actually I don't have questions. I'm just appalled. I mean, my question would be, um, you know, I'm hoping the NAACP is just absolutely losing their minds and going crazy on this. Um, you know, and I am hoping like some black celebrity, not even black celebrities, any progressive celebrity, you know, is ready to write some checks to help support these these groups and, um, you know, counter this, this insanity. I mean, this is, this is truly nuts. I mean, this is beyond. Uh, I, I mean, it just, I, I'm, I'm appalled and shocked. I mean, at the level that they're they're going to, that DeSantis is going to, which is obviously not even a smart strategy for him. He is tanking, and I, you know, I don't get it. It's like hatred is not actually a winning ticket. So, anyway, that's well, no that's, questions uh, in there. Uh, just you know, okay. You know. Um, let's switch to the Mid Atlantic yesterday. Republican lawmakers overrode Governor Roy Cooper's veto of three anti-trans and anti-gay bills. Um, And so now we have laws that have just taken effect uh, in the state of North Carolina. Uh, One of the bills uh, basically prohibits any kind of initiation of any kind of gender-affirming medical care for trans youth. The second bill uh, is basically North Carolina's version of Florida. Again, don't say gay bill. And then the third bill restricts trans kids from student sports. Now, obviously, these bills will be challenged. Uh, the ACLU 
Uh, Southern Equality and Lambda Legal have already indicated that they will be filing lawsuits. Uh, in the case of two of these bills, um, this is going to end up more than likely in the fourth U.S. Circuit in Richmond. Uh, and so there's a really good chance that uh, they do stand a, cho- a, a, a chance of being, you know, enjoined or blocked, you know, at that level. But the process starting from the district court to the circuit court, as you know, takes a while. Uh, as we just saw in my next news story coming out of Idaho, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld an injunction on Idaho's anti-trans youth sports law. Now, the Ninth Circuit originally got this case uh, two years ago. Uh, the lawsuit was brought by the ACLU um, of Idaho and a couple of outside uh, law firms. It was, uh, the, it was two uh plaintiffs. One was a student at Boise State University who's trans who had been planning to try out for the student cross-country team and also play soccer. And then uh, a senior who's now in university uh, from Boise High School who was concerned about the law's rather invasive sex verification testing. The, The law had provisions in it that you had to prove you were a boy, you had to prove you were a girl, and obviously that gets a little problematic for transgender Americans, but it was written into the law. Now, the U.S. District Court uh, in Boise actually issued the first injunction. What the Ninth Circuit just did was it upheld that injunction. Um, at this point, it's now a permanent injunction, and, of course, it will be taken up, I'm pretty sure, by the Supreme Court. And, of course, that's the Wild Wild West. Nobody knows where that one's going to go. Um, another story that we've been kind of keeping a, an eye on uh, isn't necessarily LGBTQ related, but it was an interesting announcement from YouTube, Google's YouTube. Um, in a statement released on Tuesday, Dr. Garth Graham, who's the head of director and global health for uh, not only Google itself, but YouTube, uh, announced that the platform was finally going to take action on medical misinformation and it's going to take it down. Um, as a matter of fact, they've already started. So a lot of these anti-vax, anti-COVID, anti-this, anti-that videos are now being removed wholesale. Uh, uploaders are being told point blank, don't try and put it back up or you'll be permanently banned. Um, this is a much needed uh, change. Uh, and so it's, it's good to see that YouTube, Google is being very proactive uh, about going after this uh, type of uh, misinformation because it does do a lot of harm. A lot of the other misinformation that the platform is targeting, according to Dr. Graham, is a plethora of just BS medical stuff on cancer, uh, and so they're going after that as well. The new policies and guidelines are now in place. The platform is uh, taking action to pull down the uh, cancer and COVID stuff, we expect to see the vast majority of it gone by the end of the week. There has obviously already been a uh, reaction from the far right and some of the people that are yelling that it's First Amendment, this, that, and the other thing. And, of course, we've had seven different court rulings that said, no, nope, can't do that. Uh, I'm just gratified to see YouTube do it. I'm hoping that TikTok takes a hint and does the same thing. Uh, Meta, who owns Instagram, has already done it. Uh, it's just Google's a little 
little late to the race, but, you know, nonetheless, they're still competitive. Uh, and those are some of the top stories uh, that we're following today. Uh, and if you want to read more, please do. It's LosAngelesBlade.com. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate your uh, patronage. I'm, I'm actually curious on the last story that you just reported on, Brody, um, what Google and uh, Microsoft Bing are doing in terms of their uh, – for Microsoft Bing, it's ChatGBT. Uh, for Google, it's BARD, which is their AI um, engines that are taking off. And those engines are fueled by information out on the web. But um, I'm wondering how those engines are screening for misinformation you know, to because you go on there and you ask some basic questions and it provides answers, you know, mined out of all this other data that's out there. So mm-hmm. um, not asking you for an answer on that, but just putting it out there, that's a question I would have of them. Um, and also, um, self-servingly, I do want to highlight the article that um, you put up for me today, not for me. I put up, I sent it for you, but um, on uh, Barb Morrison who we did interview on our show here a few weeks ago, um, punk rock um, pr- record producer, producer of Blondie and Tripping Jupiter and other um, acts and Tripping Jupiter having been a, a guest of our show as well. Uh, but uh, we, were, we talked about their book, Bottoming for God. And so the article is up now for your reading pleasure as well. So there we go. And now we're going to switch gears and we're going to, it's still August. And even though it's August 17th, we're going to August at 22, the brand new film um, that is by our guests. And I want to welcome them to the show. Um, Ali and Sophia, welcome. Hi. I'm hoping I've got two lines here. Are you guys on? separate lines now? I think, yeah, Allie got disconnected, so she had to come back in. Okay, I'm going to open both lines just in case. So uh, welcome to both you guys on the show. Um, so congratulations. Um, August is 22, has been through film festivals and is an award-winning film at this point. So that's super exciting. Um, how does it feel to have this as presumably both of your first big project. I mean, I mean it's, it's been dream. amazing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, I think though. I interrupted Ali. No, so go ahead. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say it's just a dream come true. I think, um, like, you know, I think worst, worst case scenario, we thought, you know, maybe no one would see the movie. So this is like beyond any of our expectations, like getting into festivals, getting awards, like, having distribution with Gravitas Ventures. It's been like an incredibly warm um, reception from, you know, audiences and other filmmakers. And it's just been really encouraging. And I think um, I can speak for Ali and I when I say like it it makes us excited for the next project. Well, it's, um, I have to say, and I want to kind of quit harping on the fact that it's your first quote unquote, because when you watch the film, it does not feel like anybody's first film. It it feels like it has come from people who are very sophisticated in the filmmaking process and what they deliver. It is very authentic um, throughout. Um, And Allie, you know, obviously the the whole 
feed out of this, you being the writer and the the lead actress in it, um, came right out of your soul. Um, when you sat down with that blank piece of paper, and that's very old school, the blank computer screen, <laughs> um, what were you thinking? What 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 were your notes on the first film that you wanted to write? You know, I always felt like the project I identified with most were the most personal. Um, and I, I still kind of think that about art. I think the like most universal is whatever is most personal. Um, and so I think I just honestly was coming to it. I had gone through this, like I felt major transformative experience, you know, being a young, optimistic, naive, dumb 20 something dumb. I say with lots of, you know, love and, uh, uh, sympathy. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, 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 you know, it was definitely based on, you know, the own, my own misadventures of being a, a little 20 something who wants everything and has nothing. Um, and I just felt like if I could tap into what was my most vulnerable, and not shy away from it. Like there are so many times in the film where Cal is just doing the ugliest thing or just being the worst version um, and really exploring like what is the worst version of myself look like. Um, That's kind of, that was the starting point and just being, you know, or trying to make myself brave enough to not make it prettier than I felt. But it's ironic because, even though her, if you look at it on paper on some of her behaviors throughout the film, she is kind of wide-eyed, optimistic. Everything is, mm-hmm. in her world amazes her, um, and she's approaching with such eagerness that it doesn't even really feel like she's screwing things up in a way. I mean, it really just feels like she's on this adventure of and, and true, they they're definitely mishaps. Um, mm-hmm. What what aspect of that character did you embrace with with affection and, and advocacy that helped you get through that or portray that? I think the biggest thing, or like Cal's main emotional cord, is that she's incredibly self conscious. So I think that was my way in. It's like. A hundred percent, she's going into every single situation with like the most wide eyed, you know, but, but I think a lot of the reason that she is going, going into these things so like curiously and optimistically is because she is lacking so much of her own jurisdiction and confidence. Um, So she's kind of searching for that all around her. She, every, she's putting kind of everyone's above her everyone she meets is on a pedestal um so i think yeah that that's kind of where that where that came from and got me through cal you know it, every time she walks into a room she thinks how do i get these people to like me these and which you know inherently uh in 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 some kind of power dynamic yeah, and it, it's um, actually kind of endearing because I think that's highly relatable. I think most of us are that way of wanting to walk in and we want everybody to like us. Um, 
Yeah. You both come from acting backgrounds. Um, and I, and obviously you are multifaceted in each of your talents. Um, what is a priority art form for each of you? Are you actresses who direct and write? Are you a writer who also acts or a direct or an actress who also directs? Where do you see your personal focus? Um, Go if you want to go. I, yeah, um, I consider myself right now an actress that directs and writes, but I could see myself changing that in the future. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to decide sometimes, but I think right now just, um, I mean, acting was like the first thing that I kind of latched onto creatively as far as back as I can remember. Um, you know, I would do like plays at um, my dad's church and my mom was also an actress, like a stage actress. So like we would always, you know, do our little scenes together. And that was like our way of playing with each other. And then um, when I went to BU, which is where Ali and I sort of like started to get to know each other, um, I just started finding more interest in writing and in directing and never would have thought that I would have gotten into that. But I mean, I also fell in love with that. So it, it's really hard, but I think, yeah, an actress who directs and writes, that's, that's it right now. Yeah. How about you, Allie? I feel like I'm just, and, and this is such a cop-out, but I really feel just like a creator. Um, and I feel like that manifests, you know, as an act, actor and as a writer, like I can't decide. Um, I just know that I want to keep doing both so, so dearly and so deeply. Um, so both, I can't pick. Um, and I, and I also <laughs> really, I, I really want to direct. I think that's my next, my next thing that I'm really looking forward to exploring. Cause I, I kind of feel like that's been brewing in me for a while. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see how that manifests in the coming year. Well, um, you're, it, I think what you did in this film on both levels, acting the part and having written it is, and, and I'm going to quote Cal, <laughs> amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it really kudos. Sophia, though, your, this film was obviously so, deftly directed. I mean, it's like every performance is great and it's, and the performances weave together in such an even way. There's no like, Oh, that, thank God they got that great actor because you know, everything just changed. And when they came on the screen, it's all like the authenticity is well balanced throughout and it is just, just incredibly well crafted from just a directorial standpoint, what was your approach with the whole cast and the, and what they brought to it? Um, well, thank you for saying that. That's really, that's really sweet. I, I think that I, first of all, was so lucky with the actors that we, we had. Um, everyone was just so perfect for the roles. Um, uh, and really what it was for me um, was I needed to have our actors have a lot of rehearsals because, um, like, you know, when I was thinking about, like, what, what makes me feel comfortable as an actor is just have, feeling prepared so that when we're on set, we can have 
freedom to explore different emotional notes or different um, tactics or different um, lines even. Because, I mean, like, Ali and I were both really inspired by the mumblecore movement, um, especially for this film. And, you know, something that they do is improving in and out of scenes, and we would do that on set. So for me, it was, like, very important that everyone felt as prepared as possible, especially for the bigger scenes or the longer scenes, um, like the one of Jacob and Cal in the bedroom, which is like a nine-minute scene. I needed them to feel comfortable. So we had lots of rehearsals for blocking, lots of rehearsals with Melina, our DP, um, to sort of get, you know, the camera in there and sort of get the actors to pay attention to that. Um, and to build rapport with them, you know, I think I think this movie is about relationships and, like, making sure that those felt authentic was, like, the most important thing to all of us. Um, and, you know, like, making sure that Lily and Allie had this, like, special, unspoken, magical thing going on. And Jacob and Cal had this, like, deep-seated, like, long-term friendship, love, question mark thing. And then with, with Bobby and Cal, Jorge and Allie already knew of each other because we all went to the same um, acting school, Terry Knickerbocker Studio, um, they already had sort of a rapport, so it was more about just, like, having fun and letting them, like, play together. And I think that that relationship really shows so beautifully um, in the movie. So, yeah, rehearsals. Rehearsals all the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it, it was it was really astounding because it you got lost in the characters. They were very real, um, you know, and, you know, it, obviously you were dealing with um, – talent across the board that that were very comfortable with that. Um, Ali, what was what was it like for you to shift from basically the god of the piece, because you created it as the writer, to being one of the players, albeit the crucial player in it? What um, How did it feel to have to stand back in collaboration? Um, and were there points where somebody was doing something that you were kind of going, okay, that's not really how I wrote it, but okay. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I think that everyone on set was so aligned with what we wanted to create. And I think, I don't know, we honestly, like, we just cast and, and crewed up the right way. Everyone was kind of a dream. I I would say the only thing that was kind of an adjustment for me was, you know, about a week before the shoot, I was like, okay, Mary Elizabeth, who was our amazing producer, and Sophia, um, Sophia and I also uh, helped produce the, the project. Uh, so about a week before, I was just like, okay, guys, I have to go into acting mode and, like, really take myself out of, like, anything um, on mm-hmm. the logistic end, like, if that's cool, like, unless there's, like, an emergency, I just need to, like, really get into that mode, um, which I got to do and was really helpful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting when you write it and you're also, like, behind the behind the scenes, you know, because you're, you have a different experience than the rest of the other actors because you're as worried about, like, okay, how much time do we have left in the day and, like, how's this shot looking and, um but I trusted everyone around me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, it was, it was so easy. Like you just, it was unrealistically, unexpectedly 
so just kismet. Everyone, like I, I have no. It was just perfect. I know yeah. that's like not that well, helpful. Well, no. <laughs> maybe maybe not for a guide for somebody who's trying to emulate you, but it's it's the the truth. Um, one uh, one of the standouts of the other cast members, and again, they were all excellent. So I don't mean to mm-hmm. imply anything by this, but Lily, who plays Emily, was yeah. in such a pivotal role mm-hmm. in the film. I mean, and if that role had not stepped up to the right level, um, the plot would have fallen apart oh, yeah. basically. But it was it yeah. was the chemistry was magical. You know, the connection was magical. Mm-hmm. She was so just every movement she made was authentic to that. What was, how did yes. Lily get involved and how did you find her? That's yeah. I'm, I, I appreciate you saying that. I agree. I think Lily is so magical and so singular that, that it makes sense why Cal meets her and immediately is like, holy crap. Like, who is this person that I've never, I've never met anyone that dresses like this or talks like this or like smokes a cigarette this way. Like everything about M is cool. Um, and I think Lily is just the perfect person to play that because they are the most inherently cool person ever. Um, Lily and I actually met, it, it again goes back to acting class. Lily and I met doing a summer intensive at Terry Knickerbocker studio. And we were in pre-production for the film and kind of staffing up and casting. And Lily was just such an all-star and, and I, we had bonded in the class. I really, you know, thought she was an amazing actress and was so just into them and everything they were doing. And so I, you know, sort of nervously asked if they would read the script. And we had also bonded over like bisexuality and kind of how, how platonic friendships with queer women are often, often can get quite blurry um, or that's where it begins. Um, Mm -hmm. So she read the script and really, really loved it and resonated with it. And, basically came in for an audition and we were like, yeah, you're Emily. Like I can't imagine anyone but you as M. Um, and then she basically told her agents she's doing it and that was it. And then she went off and did your honor right after. <laughs> well, yeah, she, and she's got a impressive resume um, as well, which she deserves because she's, she is, she is excellent. Um, so the, the film um, has, has gone through the film, film circuit um, or the film festival circuit mm-hmm. um, to, to, I think, great, great applause. Um, and it's, the heart is absolutely there. It is, you know, it isn't per se a message film or a moral, you know, here's the moral of the story film. But what do you each hope, especially – young women watching the film and walking out, what do you hope they are impressed with and that they carry on with them from the film? Sophia? Um, that's such a good question. Um, I, I hope that, well, first of all, I hope that they noticed that our crew was like 
all people who identify as female um, and that they can do that too. And it's easy because there are many, many capable and skillful women out there ready to, you know, be a gaffer, be grip, be an assistant camera. You know, I, I think that that's something that I hope that, that young female filmmakers notice. But, like, I also hope that people take away that no one in this movie is a perfect person. And as a <laughs> very much a, what's the word, recovering perfectionist, um, that was something that I know I needed to see. And, um, you know, like, especially with, young women being told to be polite and be likable. And that, I mean, I think that's changing a bit now, but I mean, there's still a ways to go because there's decades and decades and hundreds of years of conditioning um, that, that we have to unlearn. And I just hope that, that people see that it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have moments where you're not likable as long as you take responsibility and ask for forgiveness and like do the things to make yourself to be a better person today than you were yesterday, to use that cliche. And I think, like, you know, Cal gets that, you know, opportunity with her friendship with uh, Bobby. And um, mm -hmm. I, I just really, like, appreciate that, and I hope other people do too. Yeah, that, that actually, that was really so well done in the film because you could see both her, her um, flight of Bobby and why, uh, Bobby would feel hurt, but at the same time, it was completely understandable. I mean, it was sort of like, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a misunderstanding. That was hard. But, um, uh, Ali, I want to go back to you on, on because you you had a double-decker, mm -hmm. you know, on the line here with the audience of both having written it and and had it come through you as a person on the screen. What What effect were you hoping to, to have. I really wanted folks to watch it and feel 22 again. I wanted it to just feel and be so authentic that you felt like a fly on the wall and you felt the secondhand embarrassment and it was relatable whether you were, you know, 19, 22 or 82. Um, I just, yeah, that, that was, that was the goal for sure. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's, you were highly successful in that because it, it was, especially at the end, it was sort of like, okay, Hey, you're 22. Don't worry about it. It's going to be better. It's going to be, you know, it's like exactly. you're going to move on from that. Yeah. So no, that, exactly. that, that was, that worked. Um, so you set yourself up in a way with this material, both as, a scriptwriter and then the actress. And if mm -hmm. you were just the actress and it was another scriptwriter, I could see you looking at the scriptwriter going, um, "You want me to do what?" Because uh, <laughs> the, the Cal Cal has to make some really big emotional shifts in the film, and I don't want to go into the specifics on it. But there, you ran the risk of it being something like, "Huh, what's she doing? What? Why?" you know, rather than the flow that you were able to bring to it. How did you navigate that so that it flowed out of the character rather than out of the scriptwriter's intent? 
That's an interesting question. I think, honestly, just staying really, really truthful to uh, what was happening in each moment, uh, I think because Cal is taking everything in going along, I also, you know, being Cal to a certain extent, like, understand all of her actions and where they're coming from and why she does it. Um, even if they're imperfect and messy and uh, at times ugly or, um, but yeah, she, I mean, she's going through so much. I think she's just in so many ways, she's just like an unregulated kid. You know what I mean? So I think just approaching everything with like, not what is the end result of this scene? Like, Oh, in this scene, she's sad. Or like, at the, you know, I have this major emotional scene where, you know, all hope is lost and whatever. Like, it's not, it was never about that. It was just like, okay, well, how did we get here? Right. And like, what, what's in front of me right now that I'm reacting to? Um, yeah, yeah. I just, reacting staying in the moment and I think at a certain point like you kind of forget the script like I forget that I'm the writer of it and I'm just reacting to the true circumstances around me as if they're my reality because they are for Cal and it in here's a a pure writer question for you Um, if uh, somebody sat you down and said okay next script we want you to write Cal uh, five years later where where do you think Cal would be going? That's a dream, honestly. I would love Soph and I and Mary Elizabeth have talked about like how fun it would be to do like February at thirty three and like October at twenty nine and whatever. I I would be really into that. Um, five years later, I think that Cal probably would have written a movie and wound up making it with some of her best friends and uh, found her footing a little bit. And I don't know, maybe she would be like engaged and living in Brooklyn and all would have worked out fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Sophia, one of the things that impressed me as an audience member in the film and um, Ali, you can close your ears because I'm going to talk about you behind your back in front of your front. (laughs) Um, But um, (laughs) Ali on screen has this huge charisma. I mean, her, she, you look into her eyes and you totally believe everything she says and everything she does. And, you know, it, it's all very there. Um, and it, it, um, we're talking about Lily being a vital part of the film working, but let's face it, Allie carried the film. Um, what was your challenge in working with that, making that happen? Or did you just look into it? And, and I don't believe, Really, it was the latter. I think your directing had a lot to do with it. But um, how how did you create charisma? Oh, um, I mean, that's such an interesting question. No one's ever asked that. Um, I mean, first of all, Ali just is naturally charismatic. Um, but um, I I feel like using close-ups and not really venturing far beyond like a medium wide um, captured some of that natural charisma that Ali has. Um, you know, I wanted us to feel like we were Cal's other friend who was just following along on this weird summer adventure. Um, 
you know, hence the like handheld effects and like the and the close ups so that you really just feel like you're right there and you're really taking in Cal and like this charisma that is that is there even though there's also anxiety, even though there's also insecurity. Um so maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe it's the close ups, maybe it's um Ali's comfort with, you know, me um you know we're you know beyond just collaborators we're friends and um you know i I, i've she started showing me like early drafts of the script before i even signed on as a director so i feel like we were already developing that trust with each other um you know before i was even yelling action on set um and i mean even if Ali weren't my friend, I think as a director and as an artist in general, I, I really believe in like making people comfortable to be acting is hard, right? Like you're so vulnerable mm-hmm. and you're so, especially with Cal who has like moments of like ugliness and like mistakes and just like cringiness. And that's a, that's a really vulnerable place to be in. So, you know, I, as a, I guess like actor's director, I really want people to feel safe and like comfortable and I think when Allie feels safe and comfortable she's charismatic um so yeah does that answer your question oh yeah no and and actually yeah that was I I probably would have observed that because I think how you set up a lot of the shots were definitely played into that and and leveraged that um I, I think you you not to talk about it like totally objectively, but you know, in terms of Ali as an acting instrument, you leveraged what she brought beautifully and captured. I mean, took advantage of that. Whereas another actor, you might have gone, okay, we're going to film this out the window and from across the street. You know, but you know, it's like, yeah, but no, you just you didn't you didn't have to do that in this case. So, um, Sophia, you did another. Um, this was not actually your first directing. You did a short film. I think it's called Voce, um, if I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. Yeah, Voce. Voce. I knew I was going to get yeah. it wrong. Um, what, what, was, what did you learn from that that you brought into this experience? Oh, that was such a fun project, and Ali was in that as well. Um, that was a very different process because I was also acting in it. So that was crazy, um, but something that I would love to do again. Um, but something that was helpful in that process that I have carried through with me since is the use of storyboarding. Um, I, I'm a horrible illustrator, <laughs> like so bad, but um, good enough for me to be able to translate something to the director of photography to create a shot list. Um, and I, I do think it's such a helpful tool. Um, to just, you know, take what you see on the page, especially when, you haven't, when you're not the one who wrote it, because I wrote Voce, and I didn't write August of 22. Um, so taking Ali's script and seeing, okay, like, you know, breaking it down from what are the actors, what are these characters' objectives, what are their, how are they getting these things, and how do they shift throughout the scene, and then also what, what am I trying to, what am I, how am I drawing the audience's attention and what am I drawing it to and do I want to be on the nose about it or do I want to be kind of sneaky about it and the only way to know if that if any of it is effective or if any of it is not going to work is to see it visually that's what I think and um 
you know, despite my horrible drawing skills, like it, 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 it's a very helpful thing to do. And, you know, stick figures or not, it, it, I could see if it would work or not. Um, and yeah, that was something that I started to do in Voce that I brought to August at 22. And also, um, I am nothing without a good crew behind me. Um, you know, the crew for Voce was very different from the crew at August of 22, but they were equally as, I, I had to put so much trust into them in both projects and, um, you know, be, you know, have my ideas and have my vision, but also have an openness and a trust uh, with, you know, if, if um, Melina had an idea to just like get some, you know, B-roll or to get like um, a close-up on these hands doing this thing. And if, especially if we had time to do it, I was always like, yeah, why not? Like, let's play. Like, if the actors get to play because they felt rehearsed, like, why don't we get to play as the filmmakers because we did so much pre-production. Um, and just, like, yeah, having having a team behind you that is, like, so skillful and talented, like, that is everything as a director. Yeah, and, and I mean, because a director is a leader, not, you know, a, a, an island unto themselves, and, and that Navigating that is, is vitally important. I, I want to pivot a little bit on this. Um, you, in the script, in the film, in the character, um, all, all in throughout all of that, um, you guys developed concepts of sexuality or presented concepts of sexuality. And one of the refreshing things about August of 22 is it was never handled as this, coming of age story or coming out story or, you know, any of that. It was all handled very fluidly and naturally and, and authentically. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of other films that come out where that has to always be the big deal? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Ali wanted to, we can both answer this because um, this is an important question. I, I also love that about our film, that it's like kind of handled in this like sort of letting the characters be who they are. Um, and because I think that was very much an experience of, that is very much my experience and Ali's experience living in New York and being in this like art scene um, is that people are queer and they just exist. And, you know, that's, you know, partly our privilege. Um, and we are so, like, we should be, we are so honored to be living life like that. And I think, like, it's important to capture that kind of life on film. Um, and that's not to say that coming out stories and stories about the trials and tribulations of the queer experience aren't important. They 100% are and need to be told. I think that both, both need and can exist, um, both like having, you know, these heavier stories that shed light on things that people might not be aware of or that people are aware of but are ignoring or, you know, whatever. And, and the other side of that, which is what we try to do with this, which, which is just like a normalizing narrative and like the, the the joy and the happiness and the mundane and the you know awkward <laughs> um and I feel like the, when they both exist that just like creates a more full picture of the queer experience 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ali, did you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally I agree with Sophia. I think one of the beautiful things about Cal and, you know, her relationship with M and her relationship with Jacob and, uh, honestly, her relationship with everyone is that she doesn't need to explain who she is or what she's attracted to or, you know, I think there's a space for that. And I think those like traditional queer coming of age films, you know, Love, Simon, um, there are so many, but I, I think, you know, those are so important and they have their place. And I also think hopefully we'll get to a place in society where we don't necessarily need to always like explain who we are and we could just be. And, you know, I think it's a privilege as an artist to get to watch art that just, especially in regard to queerness, just is. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I, I love that for, for Cal, and I, I love that for our film. And, and it, that is a very privileged place. And it, the only reason that happened is because uh, we live in New York. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think it's important. I, I found it really not just refreshing, uh, but it um, – made me relate to the film on a deeper level. Uh, and I agree with you both that, yeah, yes, the coming out stories are important. Um, I guess my misgivings with a lot of American independent films is in the process of some of those coming out stories, they feel the need to start defining whole aspects of the queer community where, yeah. oh, gay men always do X and and lesbians always do Y. And, you know, falling into Mm -hmm. different cliches. A lot of European independent films are much more like your film, where the characters just are. And, you know, it's not that they're divorced from, you know, their identity, but it's the character's identity not trying to make some label um, Right. Because I think that's also a thing between, that's a difference in many ways between European cinema and, and uh, and American cinema is that in American cinema we're so geared towards pleasing an audience that everything is like explaining. It's storytelling for the audience's sake. Whereas I feel with European cinema, we're they're very much just dropping in on a life. And I think, as you just said, queerness in European cinema. Uh, one film Sophia and I saw while we were at Provincetown Film Festival is Passages. Um, which is another actually like quite similar love triangle to our film. Um, it, it never, like it's a, you know, bisexual love triangle and it never once had to explain the fact that, oh, this man is attracted to both a, a female body and a male body. Like it just is. And we're just dropping in on that. And it made it all the more intimate, all the more interesting, all the more honest, um, so I, I appreciate the fact that uh, that you found that parallel. Yeah, oh, oh, definitely. So we need to do a little housekeeping. Where can people see August the 22 and, um, and enjoy it? August the 22 is available anywhere you can get your streaming on demand. Um, it's on Apple TV. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube. It's on Vudu. It's on uh Anywhere you can you can grab it. Anywhere you can stream. And what is up next 
for each of you? What projects do you guys are you looking forward to? Um, well, I do. You want to go first, though? No, no, no. You go. Um, so I'm currently producing a film that's shooting in Utah right now um, called The Wilderness, um, which is written and directed by Spencer King and executive produced by Aaron Paul and Amy Berg. Um, and uh, then I'm also writing my next feature called Projection Room. Uh, so hopefully that'll happen next year later, fingers crossed. Oh, exciting. And how about you, Sophie? So I have a short that I wrote um, that we are currently developing and raising money for. It's called Good Choices, um, and it's about being an artist in New York, but it's a little bit different than August of 22. Um, and uh, what else? Oh, I have a, a feature that I wrote um, that is in development and also hopefully shooting next year, but again, depends on money. And um, and that one will be fun because it's going to be a little bit um, leaning more into my, like, magical realism and surrealism interests. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. Well, uh, you guys are both incredibly talented. Um, the film is August at 22. Um, go out to your streamers, stream it, watch it. You will love it. I guarantee it. Um, uh, we've only, we're down to our last. 22 or 22 <laughs> i wish we're last down to our last two minutes um ali what haven't i asked that i should have asked um nothing honestly i i would just love to take the last 10 seconds or so to tell you how much i loved your review and how much it meant to me to be compared to and us to be compared to greta gerwig and sofia coppola and lena dunham um that was a really huge pinch me moment. I like, I'm going to frame it. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Well, it was deserved. It was, <clears throat> I, I do not lie. So, um, totally oh. believe in you to be both, um, excellent film, totally captivating and, uh, well worth the watch. And unfortunately we are out of time today. So, um, I have to wrap up for Rated LGBT Radio. We will be back again next week with another fascinating show. Um, as usual, I have no clue what we'll be talking about, but I guarantee you, you will be fascinated by it. And we will talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 